Podcast One production. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. Yes, and on this show, we talk about the hacks that are going to help you in your life get fitter and healthier. My name is Alex, and with Adam, I take on his hacks and I do everything I can to implement them. So, Adam, I can ask you questions every single episode. You probably get sick of me asking <laughs> you questions, Adam, because I know you're a health and fitness economist, and I see on your Instagram and, and on Facebook, and I ask you as well, the one question that keeps coming up is going to be the topic for this episode, which is I ask you all the time, Adam, you're a health and fitness economist. Just tell me. What is the best exercise that I should do? And you always answer me with, <laughs> what is it you actually want to achieve? What is it that you're exercising for? Which is the whole point of this episode, which is fascinating. Yeah, look, you know, it's very, very uh, broad. The question is, what's the best form of exercise? Well, it obviously depends on your goal. And, you know, in, in a general sense, fitness can be described as being able to just perform a task or an activity without undue fatigue. So, you know, whether it's to walk around the block to buy some milk or pick up the kids and play with them, um, or if it's to run a marathon, it's being able to run a marathon without breaking down and, and not being able to complete it. So it's essentially just being able to move with undue stress and fatigue on the body. So it's very interesting that people just think that there's one best form of exercise for everything because there's not. I always ask you about how can I get better at my surfing? Well, look, it's a great question, isn't it? You know, when anyone comes to me and says, I want to be a, a footballer, I want to be a bike rider, I often tell them, go and ride a bike. If you're going to be a bike rider, you need to ride a bike. Sport is just a skill. So if you're training for a specific sport, if you can get access to that sport, that's what you should be focusing on. I remember famously once our um, strength and conditioning coaches come to me in the early days of professionalism in rugby league and they decided that because they were good at bike riding, all of a sudden we were going to take up bike riding as rugby league players. And uh, I got a little bit cranky and I remember saying to the trainer that I wasn't going to ride a bike and the day that we actually rode bikes onto the rugby league field was, would be the day I'd actually get a bike. So right. I refused to do it because I knew that the minimal effective dose of me doing exercise wasn't served best by spending it doing an activity that had no crossover to my sport. So I got in a little bit of trouble, but it served me well because it didn't help my football performance. And therefore I got to spend more time working on my skills and working on my speed and things that would, you know, correlate directly to my sport. That's where a lot of people make the big mistake. They think that because they're doing some form of cross training, as we like to call it, um, that it's going to help their sport. But the best way to get good at a sport is do it. However, a lot of the times, um, as we've seen from the Jamaican bobsled team and and the Australian winter Olympic uh, athletes, you know, from uh, Chumpy Pullen, who, yeah. who I know, and some of these guys who have gone on to be the best in the world. Or even just when doubt savings ends and I come home and it's black and I can't go for a surf. Yeah, well, they've had to adapt. So they've had to find out what are the actual skill sets that they can improve indirectly from other activities. So you take surfing, for example, um, you know, it's probably a bit of a bugbear of mine about getting on my high horse, but um, you'll see someone like Mick Fanning, who's one of the greatest surfers, you know, who have lived in the modern era recently, sort of jumping onto a Swiss ball and doing all this fancy dancey sort of stuff. And it's just garbage. You know, I laugh when I, I see these, you know, so-called celebrity trainers, you know, getting athletes doing speed ladders and jumping on wobble boards and all this crap, you know, it is, it's garbage, you know, realistically, yeah. it's doesn't do anything. You know, you've got physical attributes that you should be focusing on as your core foundation. And, you know, them things are things like flexibility, mobility, strength, um, core stability. These are, the, these are the pillars that make you athletic and be able to move. So with surfing, you see someone like John John, who's, who's the world champion, and he just surfs. So he, you know, he doesn't worry about all this other stuff. 
And then you look at Kelly Slater, who's had such great longevity, and he's very meticulous in his approach um, and very specific. Um, but outside of surfing, you can't get to, to the waves. You know, I'd firstly look at swimming. You know, swimming is, you know, a very, very good exercise. Um, it really works similar muscles that you use when you're paddling, so therefore find something that's very similar. Um Breath work, a lot of the professional surfers and, and a mate of mine trains a few of the top surfers in the world. They do a lot of breath work now. Um, Lard Hamilton's well known also for doing a lot of work under the water um, with weights um, and getting guys to hold their breath and obviously control their heart rate um, under stress and whatnot. Um, so, you know, you can find a weight um, and drop a weight at the bottom of the pool, dive down, hold your breath and try and go for as long as you can holding your breath. Um Core strength's huge. You know, you spoke about it before. Um, there are some devices out there that probably have some carryover, like an Indo, um, an Indo board. They're like a little wobble board. You can imagine like a roller under it, and it's got like a little sort of board that you stand on. Yeah, it's in the shape of a surfboard. But once again, that's going to only work one attribute, which is you know that balance. And I would argue, as a surfer, you're already going to have reasonable balance and stability anyway in that surfing motion. It's how do you then? build that, that, that sort of core of your body to actually become more effective. So, you know, for me, swimming, um, working on getting strong as well. Um, you know, surfing is a real power sport. So using your own body weight and doing plyometric exercises, which are essentially exercises where you use your own body weight and try to move your body as explosively as possible. So imagine rather than just doing a push up, you might do a plyometric push up, which is explode up, clap your hands like Rocky used to doing things like jumps. Um, you know, using medicine ball is also great stuff and doing a lot of one legged exercises. So whether it's a one legged squat, you just go on YouTube and have a look for one legged Romanian deadlifts. Um, you know, one legged glute bridges, anything where you're on one leg, you transfer force from one leg to the other surfing, you know, requires a lot of shifting of force from the front foot to the back foot. And then finally for fitness, just high intensity interval training, um, you know, and if you can get out on a board and, and paddle in short bursts of 30 seconds, paddle easy for a minute or two, and then do that, you know, that's the best way to really build up your stamina. Tom Carroll, who's, who's a good friend of mine, really loves stand up paddle boarding. So anything that closely mimics the sport, um, as much as possible, Alex will certainly help you. And dear listener, I'm not taking this show as my own opportunity to get my own fitness advice <laughs> because you and I can just talk about that outside of the show. I ask this question because what you're saying there is so true is just like your cycling analogy of why would I cycle to be fit for rugby, it is do exercises that closely mimic the sport that you are actually training for, which I think is a great tip. And obviously, the number one thing is if you want to be fit at something and good at something, just try and do that exercise as much as possible. So what you're saying to me is I can quit my job and just do this podcast and just surf. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate it. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the other thing to train for is injury prevention. So, you know, a group of athletes um, who call themselves weekend warriors as such a leisure athletes, they train on the weekends. And, you know, that, that's another thing that we need to consider when we're, we're looking at sports programming or designing the perfect way to exercise. Obviously, you know, it's great to get bigger, stronger and faster and whatnot. But um, if you don't spend time being able to do the actual sport that you love because you're always injured, um, it's pointless. You know, you look at some of the best, you know, strength and conditioning coaches in the NFL and they ask him how much, they ask this particular coach, how much can his athletes lift and how fast did they run 40 meters? And I loved his response. It was like, well, my athletes actually played 16 games out of the 16 games this year. So that's all I care about. So, you know, there's a guy called Dan John, who's a great strength coach. And he says, you should always feel better after you finish your training session than when you started. Mm. And that's the problem, you know, in, in today's community. And, 
you know, I, I suppose we've got it all sort of mixed up because the biggest mistake I'm seeing people make generally is they go to the gym and all they seem to be doing is trying to exhaust themselves and punish themselves by focusing on how many calories they're burning or how high they can elevate their heart rate. Um, you know, I love some of these training modules like F45 and CrossFit and whatnot, but, you know, to train at that high intensity consistently day in and day out um, for 45 minutes or, or um, you know, doing the workout of the day where you, you know, you're, you're, you're pushing your body to the absolute extremes. It's not sustainable, as I, as I alluded to earlier, particularly with the stress in our daily living. Um, it's not healthy. So, you know, they've got their, their priorities of exercise wrong. You know, they should focus really on just basic movement and mobility patterns, particularly now with our lifestyles, how we sit in front of computers. Um, you know, it's really, really dangerous, the, the, the path we're heading down. Like they've built some great community around these sort of high intensity sort of classes, which is probably one of the most important things that they've done. They've also brought back the fact that, you know, training at a high intensity is much more beneficial than just long and laborious styles of training. But they have also created some problems because if you think about it, if you're a desk jock that sits at a desk all day, Alex, you know, you become very tight and your posture suffers and you've really got little mobility and flexibility. And then you leave the office and, um, you know, you want to go with your tribe, which let's call it CrossFit, for example. And then all of a sudden they're asking you to do an overhead squat, which is a very technical movement or a snatch, um, which are moves normally reserved for highly trained Olympic weightlifters. I remember when I got my Olympic weightlifting qualifications to be able to teach people how to, to weightlift. Um, it took me over a year of just um, study and then, you know, a year of spending time with professional athletes. Whereas the problem with a lot of these groups of, of training and whatnot these days, you can go into a weekend course and all of a sudden you're prescribing to people yeah. Olympic weightlifting exercises, which are very technical. So, you know, Olympic weightlifting is a sport in itself. And when you look at CrossFit, you know, um, they're doing it, you know, in a bastardized manner in the sense that they're doing it under fatigue for high reps. And that was never how the sport was actually designed to be. But CrossFit's got so many great benefits to it. So as a person that wants to take up something like CrossFit, which I recommend people give it a crack, just be mindful of the fact that first of all, you've got to get your foundation right, which is mobility and flexibility. And um, stop sort of, you know, trying to exhaust yourself because take it from me, when you get older and you can't bend over to type your shoelaces or, or play with your kids, you'll probably regret the fact that you were chasing calories and you were chasing how much weight you could stack on a bar instead of just moving well. And Adam, on that, I think, you know, surfing is just where we started. CrossFit is another great one. There's a couple on this list that I want to get to, which I think might also be common goals to come back to your question is, what is it that you're training for that our listeners might be trying to achieve? So I think also people want to get fit for a marathon. Do you have some tips on long distance running and how people can get ready for that? Yeah, definitely. Look, um, my advice if you want to do a marathon is don't do it in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. I think I, I think I think it's absolutely insane. If you have a look at ancestrally how we we evolved to to, to uh, move as such, you know, we walked for long distances and then in short bursts, we sprinted and we basically lifted things infrequently that were very heavy. Um, and, you know, there's some absolutely, you know, fascinating, you know, research um, out about, you know, what is the best way to, to, to train as such to, to live the longest that you can. But, um, you know, there's a lot of people that like to set themselves a goal and that's why people are drawn to these things. You know, they really want to challenge themselves and, you know, running a marathon is one of them things that seems really appealing to people because it, it really does test you mentally as well as physically. So, um, you know, it's a tough thing to take on and like triathlon and, and these, you know, real endurance type sports, they really test your metal. So if you're going to do these types of things, once again, you've got to be really careful not to make the cardinal sin. And, 
There's a guy out there by the name of Ben Greenfield who's a biohacker and a really smart dude, and he takes his um, biohacking to an extreme, shining all sorts of interesting things on his nether regions to increase his testosterone and, you know, you know, injecting himself full of stem cells. And, you know, he's a real hardcore yeah. body hacker. But he was a former he was a former triathlete, and he did the Hawaiian Ironman, and he knows his stuff. And, you know, he, he, he's very smart when it comes to endurance training. He often talks about people training in this zone called the black hole. So the biggest mistake that people can make when it comes to wanting to run a marathon is training at a training intensity that's just too high. So, you know, most elite athletes, you know, who run marathons and, and do triathlons, they can train up to 80 hours a week, Alex. Jeez. Amazing. So the average person probably doesn't have 80 hours a week to spend. I don't have 80 minutes, let alone 80 <laughs> hours to train. But, um, you know, what they found with some of the greatest Olympians in the world um, in these endurance-type sports, that they actually spent 80% of their training time training well below what we call our lactic threshold, just training in that fat burning zone, that aerobic zone. So that's a very ro- low heart rate zone. So what, what is in the, the fat burning zone? Uh, we are going to touch on losing weight later, but the fat burning zone versus this high zone, is that uh, about as in like hit workouts versus like long distance workouts? What's that? Yeah. So essentially the, one way to, to gauge your training intensity, you know, which is a pretty simplistic way and there's a lot more technical ways you can Google and whatnot but you know you can just basically take 180 the number and then subtract your age from it and essentially you know that that is roughly your maximal heart rate and then you train at a percentage of that heart rate so you know ideally you know you want to be training in you know that 60 to sort of 70 percent of your heart rate for 80 percent of your training time if you're training for an endurance event so this is very easy sort of training it's not hard it's just that long slow grinding sort of easy you know repetitive sort of stuff and then you want to you know, train for about 10% of that time, then above that lactic threshold, you know, that high intensity above that 90% level of your heart rate for about 10% of the time. So this is where you're going to get a lot of these benefits, um, you know, from what we call mitochondrial health. So mitochondria are these amazing things, you know, now that are responsible for, you know, powering up all our cells in our body to provide energy, the anti-aging. And it's funny that high intensity exercise has been proven to be one of the best ways to actually boost the production of mitochondria, there was a a lot of thought and belief around in science that, you know, we lost all our mitochondria and hence that's why we got older and we couldn't replace and and, uh, replenish these mitochondria. But now it's been shown through the right type of exercise, we can actually regenerate our mitochondria. So it's very exciting. And ironically, high intensity exercise actually helps rebuild our mitochondria apart from increasing our fitness faster than anything else. So uh, Dr. Martin Gambala from uh, McMaster's University in Canada um, did a famous study where he took athletes and he trained them for just one minute um, and he got results better um, as far as improving their VO2 max of athletes for, for increasing their fitness than those that did 45 to 50 minutes of the recommended daily uh, moderate exercise. So how do we work out that apart from heart rate and whatnot? Well, you know, one of the best ways to work out if you're training too hard is just when, when we talk about moderate exercise, you should be able to talk and you should be able to have a good conversation and, you know, have a laugh when you're exercising. Whereas in vigorous exercise, I'd describe it as not being able to talk at all, Alex, apart from say one word. Yeah. So so you want to train 10% of the time in that real high intensity. It's not much fun, you know. We've spoken about it before, Tabata training, where you might do a 20-second sprint with 10 seconds off. Um, I find probably as an athlete, if you're really looking for that high-end mitochondrial and high intensity benefit from exercise, doing longer intervals with longer rests. So the quality is really good. So you really, when you're going for that 30 second sprint, you're fully recovered. So you might have three minutes of easy cycling um, in, in about with 30 seconds of a hard sprint, or, you know, you might even, you know, take uh, a couple of more minutes and see, wait for your heart rate to come back to normal and then go again. So mm. if you're training for a marathon, you know, don't try and do 
too much of the training where you think you have to get up and, you know, train really hard, but not quite hard enough. You're in sort of that no man's land. It's not a bit like Goldilocks, not too hot, not too cold, just right. I sometimes do that when I go for a run. Maybe after we running for about five or 10 minutes and I'm warmed up, I'll just sprint for, you know, 100 metres or maybe 50 metres and then I'll slow down and just keep jogging for a while and then do a sprint and just do that maybe five or six times uh, and then I'm pretty stuffed by then and then I just continue the rest of my jog home. I think it's really good tips to mix it all up, Adam. And when we come back in just a minute, I'm going to ask you about how do we build muscle because I think that's another really big goal that a lot of us want to do. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. Adam, on this episode of The Health Hacker, we are answering a really good question. What's the best way to exercise for you? Because what do you want to achieve? And we've touched on, because I wanted to get better at surfing when the surf is crap, weekend warriors when you've got CrossFit and getting fit for marathons with you know sprinting uh, and also putting in some gentle exercise as well, mixing it up. I want to ask you about well, it's because of a mate of mine, all right? I'm just going to throw him under the bus. Only he knows who he is. Um, he does a lot of weights and he punches a lot of protein shakes and his whole mentality is about getting jacked. Like, And I think muscles, hey, it makes you feel good. It's a cool thing to kind of achieve. But he lifts very small weights and does a lot of reps. And I need to know the answer. Is he doing the right thing or should he be doing big weights to get himself jacked? Because he really wants to get big, but I just don't know if he's going about it the right way. And I think a lot of people want to get muscles, so this might help them too. Yeah, no, he's certainly, you could answer yes, you know, he's certainly, um, you know, obviously building muscle by doing light weights, you know, there's there's three mechanisms to hypertrophy, as hypertrophy means muscle growth as such, okay. it's, you know, the first mechanism is what we call mechanical tension, so putting a heavy load on the muscle, you know, 90% of what you can lift maximally, that's going to grow your muscles because it's going to put under stress, because remember, you know, as you, you, you know, you grow muscle, you grow it as a result of stress and stress is the exercise um, and your muscle breaks down as a result of that stress. So well, there's like micro tears in your muscle and it, it fills them up and grows? Yeah, that's essentially what happens is that the muscle then, you know, gets stressed, it breaks down and then what happens inside the muscle cells is there's a chemical reaction and then it's your body's ability to provide protein um, to the muscle where protein synthesis occurs and that rebuilds the muscle to make it stronger because the muscle goes, I don't want to get hurt again. I need to be stronger for the next occasion that you expose me to stress. So we talk about it all the time. What's the minimal effective dose of exercise that you can do to get the most benefit? So that that's where this, I suppose, lifting light weights has really come a vogue because like, it's very hard to lift 90% of your one rep max on an ongoing basis yeah. of the body giving up on you. So, you know, you, you can obviously drive hypertrophy through metabolic stress, which is constant t- tension on the muscle. Arnold Schwarzenegger was famous for saying that, you know, getting a pump was better than having sex. Yeah. Uh, so he used to sit there and he'd never lock his muscles out in the gym. You'd see him doing these exercises and, you know, he'd do a bench press, for example, and rather than just locking out the top of the movement, he'd just stop, just slide of that. So his muscle was under constant tension and he was chasing the pump. So that's an, an effective way to, to get uh, muscle hypertrophy. Um, and another way is, is to really just damage the muscle directly and that's most effectively done through the negative part of the exercise which is the lowering part of the exercise where you lower the weight down on a bench press or a push-up for example you might try and really control how fast or how slow in other words you go on the way down and that's going to expose a a lot of muscle damage um, because of the the contractile forces on the muscles so there's more than one way to skin a cat Alex when it comes to building muscle Um, you know Brad Schofield who's at the forefront of a lot of research has found you know that 
the optimal weight to lift um, like your mate is, is 30% of your one rep max. So if you can bench press, for example, 100 kilos, you're best off putting 30 kilos on the bar and doing that weight. But the caveat on that is taking it to absolute failure. So once again, like the high intensity type thing, which we're not sure exactly sinus and you know people in this area, how it, all this high intensity and full intense training works. Um, at this moment, from a cellular point of view, we do know that taking the muscle to total failure is what gives the muscle the stimulus to force it to grow and become stronger. So that's what you need to do is take the muscle to absolute failure if you don't want to lift heavy or if you don't want to tra- train the pump. Um, and doing exercise more frequently is very important as well. So if you're somebody out there that um, likes to go to the gym, and, and I'm a big believer in doing total body exercises, because um, as you know, Alex, you know if you do a bicep curl on the mirror, um, you're only working about 1.5% of your total muscle mass. Whereas if you do a squat, you're working about 70% of the muscles in your body. So mm. from a bang for buck perspective, a minimal effective dose, you're best off picking these big compound exercises, we call them, like squats, deadlifts, you know, clean and presses, something that involves your whole body, chin-ups, um, push-ups and, and whatnot, because you're stressing more muscles. Um, but the key is doing exercise more frequently. So the last thing you want to do is go and spend an hour at the gym and then walk out and not be able to move for several days because you want to continually stress the muscles to promote protein synthesis. So you want to train roughly the muscle about 48 hours at a time to maximize this hyperbatory. So if you can expose yourself to training sort of every other day um, where you're, you're really breaking the muscle down, that will really help. A study recently, um, which really, I suppose, tipped this whole research thing on its head, uh, it was published in the Journal of Medicine and Science in Sports and Exercise, found that hammering out 300 reps with a lightweight um, was actually the best repetition to use to activate the muscle-building um, agents known as satellite cells. Um, these are crucial, Alex, for you know muscle regeneration after injury in particular. Um, and you know this was really mind-blowing because the Dutch scientists you know, found that after 24 hours of this 300-rep training, um, that they also activated fast-twitch muscle fiber as well, which is really against logic because you know as athletes we were taught, if you wanted to you know, increase your power and speed, you'd have to train fast. Yeah. But instead, they got people to, to lift basically no weights at all but do 300 reps to total exhaustion once again. And all of a sudden, 24 hours later, when they did these muscle biopsies, so this is a real study. They weren't just saying to people, how do you feel? They're actually taking out pieces of their muscle and then looking at them under under a microscope and seeing the changes in the muscle. So they were actually growing fast, which muscle fiber, which is absolutely incredible. And they were using three kilos, you know, in, in some of these experiments. So it wasn't heavy weights, but I think the key for everyone to hack into here is if you're trying to grow muscle, frequency is the key and taking your muscle to failure without having to use ridiculously heavy weights. I think if I can use a real world example. It's like if you ever hurt someone's baby, they put them in your arm, they really start off with, and after 10 minutes, you go, geez, this thing weighs 50 kilos. This must be the same type of exercise. It's small weight over a long time, no matter what anyone thinks, even if you think it looks silly in the gym, these are the facts that make it work. And I can't believe the fast switch thing. That's fascinating. And that brings me to strength, Adam. I know you were very big on strength training when you were playing NRL. But I'll probably a little bit too obsessive, I'd say. Yeah, look, I, I was stupid. You know, when I have a look at, back at my career and I, I look at some of the things I did in the gym, I was like, well, why did I do that? You know, it was just ridiculous. And, you know, people always say, oh, you know, how much do you bench press? And, you know, ego would take over. And, you know, I, I sort of got a bit smarter as I got older. You know, I, I always had these goals as an athlete. You know, my goal, you know, to, to lift three times my body weight with the squat and the deadlift. And then I was trying to, to – um, bench press, you know, two times my body weight and stupid stuff like that and overhead press, you know, 1.6% of my body weight. Now, when you look at them numbers, you know, 
you know, that, that's, you know, close to 300 kilo squats and deadlifts. And, you know, I look back now and uh, my 80 year old self is going to absolutely hate me. So, um, <laughs> you know, you always have to be mindful of what you're doing and the repercussions. You know, people ask me, you know, do I train with anybody? And I've actually got a personal trainer. I joke all the time and he's my 70 year old self. I tell per- people, um, <laughs> because I, he's on my shoulder, you know, and he's saying, Adam, when you're 70, you're going to hate the fact that you did that stupid weight. And it's true. So we need to look at the long game. But, um, you know, once again, you know, I was training for a particular purpose, which was rugby league. And I probably didn't require that level of strength. You know, what was the point of, you know, some trainer come up to me and said, you know, real Olympic sprinters can, you know, lift three times their body weight in the squat and the deadlift. So I become obsessed with that. And all of a sudden I started trying to chase these ridiculous numbers. And you you want strong muscles, but not big muscles. And the key to that is, is that strength is like anything else in life. It's a skill. The more that you do it, the, you know, the better acquired you become at it. So it's how many motor units you can turn on at once. So strength's essentially what we call driven by our central nervous system. So the ability of your nervous system to send signals to, to the muscles as, as hard as they can to switch on as many muscles as they can to produce force. So the biggest mistake that a lot of people are making in the strength and professional sporting world these days, Alex, is that they're looking at bastardized science, a bad science. So you'll have a look at research articles out there that, that say, Certain um, research has shown that, you know, the best way to get strong is do five repetitions, five sets at 85% of your one rep max. But the problem is these studies were only done over short periods of time. So they're only done for three or four weeks. So yes, they got good results over that three or four week period. But when you're looking at an elite athlete or someone that aspires to get stronger, it's the long game. So is that sustainable for the whole year? So as a professional athlete, it's not sustainable. Your main priority is to perform on the field. So that's the biggest mistake a lot of people are making is they're taking these research studies as gospel and not looking at outside parameters, which would affect, I suppose, the application of these research articles. So my my biggest mistake, as I said, I trained at too high intensity for too long. If I had my time again, I'd probably train closer to the 60 to 70% of my one rep ma- ma- maximum. So for example, like a bench press let's call it um, 200 kilo back in the day, it might've been 120 kilos and tried to move the bar faster. This is really interesting. So what you're saying, I'm getting a common thread happening here, Adam, is the fact that you want to be training not as hard as you can because it's not sustainable. You always talk about going to extremes. We're talking about consistency and longevity. So if you pull back a little bit, and maybe just do 60, 70% of your maximum and slowly build because your maximum will always be increasing. That means you'll be able to train once every couple of days all the year round as opposed to going hard and then you go, oh, I'm just going to take the weekend off because I'm too sore. It's about consistency and always doing it is what's going to make you stronger across a few of these exercises. 100%. Consistency is the key. And, you know, when you look at um, someone like Westside Barbell Club, the great Louis Simmons, who's an absolute character of the strength world, you know, he's an absolute guru. He's got guys who are, you know, lifting, you know, thousand pounds, you know, of of weight when they squat and deadlift. It's just mind blowing. But then you've got to look at the master and, and poor old Louis, you know, he's got, I think from memory, two steel shoulders and he's got, you know, both both hips yeah. replaced and knees replaced. So, you know, I wouldn't often uh, do what monkey does, monkey see, monkey do, you know. That's it's If he can't even walk hardly, um, it's insane. This guy's an absolute legend, but look at the toll it's taken on his body. So you're exactly right. It's about the long game. Um, so if you are trying to get stronger for sport, you know, try to do total body movements like we touched upon earlier, squats, your deadlifts, Obviously, keep the reps low, um, but don't always go heavy. Try to move the bar fast because speed plays a big part of the force development curve when it comes to strength. So um, in sport in particular, it's not how strong you are. It's how fast are you strong? So how fast can you apply force to the opponent or how fast can you move over the top of the ground when you're running? So try to be fast You know, when you're doing these lifts as well. 
And even strongman training, which is a bit, you know, more sort of, I suppose, specific, Alex, you know, when you see these guys carrying, you know, heavy, heavy things, you know, it might be heavy water buckets or sandbags or stuff like that. So, yeah, but you can do some other little hacks too. If you're really getting under the bar and you want to test your mates in the gym, like, you know, blokes like to test their egos from time to time in a bench press, you know, the key to strength is also being able to create stiffness. So energy is not coming out of the muscle, it's actually being retained. So the best way to do this when you're lifting a bar, for example, say a bench press, is try to imagine that you're pulling the bar apart or when you go to do a deadlift, you know, feel like you're trying to, you know, basically break the bar when you pull it off the ground, screw your feet into the ground and push your heels through the ground. So really brace your abs. So trying to create as much tension as you can. If you're doing a one arm lift, for example, squeeze the opposite arm that's not lifting the weight into a fist as hard as you can. Mm. And this will stimulate your nervous system. Um, On the way down, when you're lowering the weight, you can always hold your breath because this is going to create stiffness as well. Train with no shoes on, Alex, when you're doing squats and deadlifts, if Grounding. the gym allows you, because you'll have a better connection into, yeah, into the ground. Um, before you lift also, Alex, you can do some post-activation stuff, which essentially means if you're going to try and bench press 100 kilos, you can put 120 kilos on the bar and just lift it off, but don't lower it and just hold it for a couple of seconds and then put it down and then put the 100 kilos on. And then when you lift off the 100 kilos- It's going to feel lighter. Yeah, you're going to feel lighter. And you see a lot of these strong men guys sniffing, you know, smelling salts. They're really hardcore. Um, actually, research has shown that if you expose yourself to, to cold, so putting some ice packs on your neck um, before you do something can increase your nervous system as well to increase strength. So, you know, if you've got someone, you know, you want to make a bet with and see if you can bench press a little bit more weight, there's a few little hacks there for you as well. <laughs> Adam, once again, I think that's so fascinating. We do hear a lot, look, just be consistent, keep going. Yes, but how do I be consistent? Well, if you pull back a little bit, it means you can get up the next day and go again because you won't be exhausted. I was part of a swimming club and they had this great motto, which was start slow and then ease back. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, where have you got to go, Alex? That's the thing with diet and exercise. You know, if you start off at that extreme level, where have you got to grow? And as we say, it's all about stress on the body and just small amounts of minimal effective dose ongoing will give you that big gain, you know? Whereas if you go on a diet and all of a sudden you eliminate everything like we've spoken about before, your body then downregulates and goes into to that you know place where it wants to be, which is, you know, that, that normalizes that state, homatosis. So where, where do you go then? What, you, you strip back more calories or you try and lift more weight? The body can't do that. So, you know, that, that's the biggest problem that people make is they want to go from zero to 100 overnight. And we spoke a lot about that with Dr. Nick Fuller in the intermittent dieting, not just fasting, but dieting as in losing a little bit of weight and then keep it nice and consistent. A little bit of weight, then keep it nice and consistent. It's that slow kind of burn that gives you the best long-term results. And that leads me into one of our last points, which is losing weight. That is another massive goal for people. How do they exercise to lose weight? It's a great question. And it's, it's probably the question I get asked the most when it comes to, to training these days because- Yeah, I bet. Well, everybody's, you know, carrying a few extra kilos than they want to. And, you know, the biggest mistake that people make when it comes to training to lose weight is that they train to actually lose weight rather than lose fat. Uh, (laughs) So there's a big difference between losing weight and losing fat. As we know, you know, weight is just a number on a scale and, you know, that can be determined by a number of things, particularly how hydrated you are. So a lot of these fad diets these days, you know, whether it's a ketogenic diet or a low carb diet are very effective in the short term as far as the scale goes, because you lose water on these diets. Your body's ability to hold water when you remove carbohydrates obviously becomes affected. So you know, for every gram of carbohydrates that you know you ingest, on average, you might hold you know, three times the amount of that carbohydrate in water. So when you jump on the scales after a week of not eating any carbohydrates, all of a sudden, you know, your glycogen levels are depleted and you've got no water um, inside the muscle cells and therefore you are going to naturally weigh less on the scales. However, to burn fat, um, 
don't worry about trying to spend hours doing long, slow training. You know, exercise is showing that going for a jog is not the best way. And we alluded to it earlier with people that want to run a marathon. Um, whilst they need to do this slow, easy training to lose fat, this is not the best way. Um, it's actually been shown by research that it can have a negative effect, believe it or not, Alex, because slow, long, steady state training is very stressful on the body and it releases a hormone cortisol, which we need in small doses. So it's not all bad, but it's it's all about you know, consideration of how much exposure we have to cortisol. As we know from our ancestors, cortisol was important because it really ramped up the body to run away from a hairy animal that was trying to eat us. On top of this, we see people that do this long, boring exercise also overcompensate with their calories. So they'll go out for a run and all of a sudden these hormones like leptin and ghrelin are negatively affected, which control our appetite and our feelings of feeling full. Um, So they come in and all of a sudden they just can't stop themselves from breeding the fridge. And they also end up moving less throughout the day. So it's, you know, they overcompensate by thinking, well, I've I've done all this exercise. I'm bloody exhausted now. I can't get off the lounge. Mm. And the hardest thing about this aerobic type of training, which is, you know, that long, slow sort of training is the more you do it, the more efficient you become at it. So you adapt to it. So therefore you have to do more of it to get the benefit Yeah, because our bodies are smart. So you start off with an hour jog and then to get more benefit, you have to go out to an hour and 20. And before you know it, you've got to be like Forrest Gump and run Forrest Run to get any benefit from this training. So you're saying go to the short stuff. Yeah, go to the short stuff again. Like research showed that cardio training group when they were put into this calorie controlled study, uh, they lost about one third of their weight from muscle. So when they lost the weight, even though they lost weight from from going on this slow, long style of training, a third of that weight come from the loss of muscle. And their metabolism, even more importantly, was reduced by over 200 calories a day. Whereas people that just focused on doing weight training, um, not only lost fat, but increased their, their metabolism by nearly 100 calories. So they were 300 calories more metabolically better off. So your metabolism is the key to losing weight. You know, the higher your metabolic rate, the more calories you burn just from sitting down. So 70% of the calories that you burn on an average daily basis, Alex, just are burnt by doing average things, by sitting, breathing, sweating, just functioning. So the higher that you can rig the, the metabolic rate in your favor, the better off you're going to be able to burn fat. So muscle is medicine, as we obviously allude to very often. So if you can do things to lose fat that are going to help you build muscle. That is the key. If you can build muscle and if you can do things that are high in intensity, this will also help you as well. Because realistically, the high intensity exercise just doesn't, you know, burn the calories when you're doing that exercise. They actually see you burn calories when you finish the exercise. It's a thing called the afterburn effect. So what happens after you finish exercising, all of a sudden your body's trying to return itself back to that homotosis state, that normal state. And it has to work much harder for a longer period of time to actually get back to that normal level. So what happens is research has shown that your your metabolic rate is increased by up to 25% for as long as 72 hours after you've done these high-intensity exercise sessions, the ones where you might sprint for 30 seconds or 10 seconds with a short rest, or you might do burpees for 30 seconds or push-ups as quick as you can or jump squats. So these things where you're really pushing your body at high, intense bursts for short periods of time, don't just burn calories while you're doing them, Alex, but afterwards as well. And they also increase things like insulin sensitivity, which is very important. So when you eat food, you know how does your body utilize that food? Does it store it as fat or does it store it into the muscles for energy? So um, this is the really interesting thing about high-intensity exercise. It just doesn't have an effect on calorie burning, but also on the utilization of the food that we eat as well. So what are some other exercises you can do to build up muscle in this high-intensity way? Uh, so you've got sprinting, uh, calisthenics, I suppose, is one. Uh, is this generally weightlifting in a in a more explosive way or push-ups with explosive ways of doing it? Is that what we want? Yeah, my hack is what I call metabolic madness training. And um, it's a little system I've developed and, and, you know, I like snack exercising. So I like to do 10-minute exercise 
even a couple of times a day because we've been showing that doing small doses of exercise, so exposing the body to short bouts of stress more frequently actually gives you a better return on your investment. So I like to do these metabolic madness sessions, which are essentially I'll do something like running on the spot for 30 seconds, get my heart rate up so I'm really tired, and then I might use the opposing muscle group that I didn't use, um, such as the upper body, to do something under fatigue as well. So I might sprint on the spot for 30 seconds, and then I might do some push-ups for 30 seconds. Then I'll have a 10-second break, and then I might do something like boxing, and then I'll do some body weight squats for 30 seconds after that. So I'm combining what we call resistance training with anaerobic or, you know, cardiovascular style of training. So we mash the two together and we get, you know, double the bang for the buck as such. And we then get that afterburn effect, um, causes my body to produce lactic acid, which we know increases growth hormone, which is great for burning fat and building muscle. And it forces the body into a state which we call epoch, where essentially your, your body can't keep up. So you, you, you've got all this, you know, metabolic activity coming off the back of, you know, pushing your body to a limit where you've got no oxygen, the muscles are burning, they're screaming. And you basically, your body goes into that mode where it's just going, holy hell, can you stop? So this metabolic madness, training is really simple. You don't need any gym, no equipment. I like to do it outdoors as well because we know that, you know, there's other benefits from exercising outdoors. And you can do it with a group of people, which is something that I would hack into as well, is that community. So, you know, while you're running on the spot, you know, your mate could be doing air squats or push-ups. And then when you f- the 30 seconds goes, you then jump in and you run on the spot and he does the push-up. So, you know, you can really challenge each other and see you can do the most reps. And, and that's a great way of hacking into exercise as well. Adam, so many hacks in that episode. And we're going to continue more hacks in our next episode where we talk about hacking the best way to exercise to live longer because you alluded to it in this episode where we not only want to get fit now, but we want to get fit for life. So that's on the next episode of The Health Hacker. If you want to get in touch with Adam, head to adamatdougal.com.au, themanshake.com.au or hit us up and have any suggestions for episodes you would like at podcastone.com.au. We always love to know what you hackers want us to hack into to make your health and fitness economy even better through Adam's expertise. Mate, we'll see you on the next episode. See you next time, mate. Bye. Health Hacker was created in collaboration with Podcast One. Written and presented by Adam McDougall. Produced and presented by Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au. Download the Podcast One app or find us on Apple Podcasts.